Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump into the Word. We are in our series. We are laying foundations. We are talking about the foundational truths of Scripture. And we're really laying the foundations for a number of years to come. We've had an influx of new people, a lot of, a lot of people coming to the Lord the last number of months. And so we want to make sure the foundation is firmly laid for what God has for us next. And so we've been looking at Hebrew chap, Hebrews chapter 6 as our text. And in that passage, the writer says, let us not... Lay the, uh, let us leave the elementary teachings not laying again the foundation. You say, well, pastor, then why are you laying the foundation again? Because we need to make sure it's, it's established before we move on. But he's saying we don't want to have to keep going over the same material. And then he defines these foundational truths. He talks about six of them. And I would propose to you there are three sets of two uh, within that six. And so we've talked about repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, that's the first two. Uh, instructions and baptisms and the laying on of hands, which is the second two. We're looking at the laying on of hands today. And then the final two are the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We're going to look at those in the future. So what we want to look at today is the laying on of hands. Now, again, I've said this as we've been looking at this whole subject. But it just strikes me how strange that is. That the laying on of hands is a foundational doctrine. When most believers don't ever think about the laying on of hands. Now if you're around here, it might, because we're a charismatic church, we're a continuous church, and uh, you know, we believe in some of the things I'm going to unpack this morning, uh, we may be a little more familiar with that, but even we don't think about how strange that phrase is because we throw it around. Oh, you know, the laying on of hands. That's a strange phrase. And if you're not part of the church or if you've never been exposed to that, that you know, churches that do that, that just seems like a strange thing to make central or foundational to the faith, doesn't it? I mean, I can understand faith and repentance and even baptism, but the laying on of hands. But we need to understand that Scripture teaches this is central and foundational to the Christian faith. This is part of the first works. So what is this thing about the laying on of hands? Well, all throughout Scripture, the hand is a metaphor for a number of things. Uh, if you begin to look at the hand, uh, that you know, we, we use the phrase, the right-hand man. Oh, he's my right-hand man. What do we mean? That he's the go-to guy. He's the guy that carries, if we use that organizationally, we mean that guy carries authority in the organization. He's second in command. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And exa that's exactly what that phrase means, that he, is, he is, sits at the seat of authority. He's the right-hand at the right hand of the Father. And so the hand speaks of authority. Matter of fact, it's interesting when Scripture is speaking of God tells Moses to anoint Aaron, his brother. He had his brother on staff for a while too. And uh, Aaron and his children, he said they were given the priesthood and he said to pray over them. And one of the phrases used for anointing was to fill their hand. Isn't that interesting? Fill their hand. And the idea was to fill their hand with oil, but it also would fill their hand with ability from God. And so there's this idea of skills 
and creativity that come through the hand. We use the phrase, the work of thy hands. And that's, in, that's right out of scripture. So it, it talks about your skill set, your ability, what you can produce, the fruit of your labor, the fruit of your hands. Uh, there's also the, the idea of God's hand being heavily upon someone. And that there's, depending on the context, that means two things. God's hand on you can mean God's blessing on you. I was just telling a story yesterday. Uh, years ago, when I was about 21, 22 years old, I had come home from Bible school. I had an encounter with the Lord in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the Lord told me, go back to Ottumwa, Iowa. I'm going to use you with the youth. And I'm weeping. I mean, it was so clear. I went back, and they hired me as the youth pastor at this church. And man, God started moving among these kids. There was about 15 teenagers that were showing up for prayer every morning at 6 a.m., now that's a sign and a wonder. In the summertime, I mean, for kids to show up for prayer, get up early, and uh, God started moving among these kids who were getting saved, and the youth group was growing, and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was fun. And at the end of the summer, the pastor said, why don't you stay? We'll pay for your degree. You can get it, uh, correspondence course, we'll pay. And man, he, he laid out this offer, and I thought, man, this looks good. I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord said, no, go back to school. So then I prayed about it some more, and this is, this is how I reasoned it. This is scary. I said, well, Lord, this isn't, you know that verse in Romans where it says, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? That's not three different wills. I've heard it preached like that, and I wanted to latch on to that teaching. So I said, God, this isn't your perfect will, but this is your good will because I'm still fulfilling the call on my life, and I was going to do it. And I sat down with this man of God who scared the spit out of me. He told me a story about how when he was 19 years old, he was heading to Bible school, and he was traveling across the country with a pocket full of cash. He'd sold all his hogs. He was leaving, leaving pig farm, and he was going, going into ministry. Made it halfway there, stopped off in a city park, started witnessing. People started getting saved, so he stayed for a couple weeks. Pretty soon, someone gave him a bus, and he had a, this bus he would live in and minister out of. And next thing you know, the, the drug courts asked him would you confer with us and sit with some of these drugs the kid was 19 years old but the power of God was on his life he was operating the gifts of the spirit people were getting saved it was at the tail end of the Jesus movement people were going through deliverance getting restored and he had this burgeoning ministry the the drug court judge said I'm, I'm going to give you a room off to the side. I want you to meet with these drug addicts, and I want you to give me your advice because you know these kids. You're working with them. And, and uh, he said, man, one morning I'm doing a Bible study with a bunch of converted drug addicts, and that night I was stoned out of my gourd. And he fell into drug abuse and for three years was bombed out of his mind on heroin. So one day he finds himself laying in a bush and a big St. Bernard lifted its legs and claimed him as its own, urinated all over him, and he couldn't even move. He's groaning. And some street preachers pulled him out of the bush and nursed him back to health. And he told me this. He said, I never again touched what I was operating in at that time in my life. And I'm telling you what, when he told me that, the fear of God came on me. And I ran up to the sanctuary, I laid on my face, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, my hand is going back to Louisiana. If you want it on your life, you better follow it. And I said, yes, sir. I went in and talked to my pastor. I said, God told me to go. He said, I'll pay you more. I said, you can't pay me enough. And th the man was a good man. I still can't believe he said that, but I think the Lord was veiling him to what was really going on to test my heart. 
But the idea was that the hand of blessing, if you want it on your life, you better follow it. It's not a guarantee. There's the blessings of obedience. But there's also scriptures that talk about, and God's hand was heavily upon him, and it speaks of discipline. And so the hand in scripture is a metaphor for authority. It's a metaphor for power. It's a metaphor for creativity. We have all these analogies, and so when you get into the, then you begin to see how this thing operates, the laying on of hands. In the old covenant, you would see the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They would lay their hands on their sons. You remember this? Remember when, when Jacob is going to lay his hands on Joseph's sons, and, and jo- Joseph lines them upright because he wanted the one on the right hand to be the one that's going to get the double portion, and Jacob crossed his hands, and Joseph tried to correct him. He said, no, this is what God wants. And so these patriarchs would lay their hands on these kids and they would release a prophetic word over these children and it would literally set the course of their, not only their personal life, but their family line and their tribe for generations to come. And it was all through the laying on of hands. And this is, you know, we don't have time to get into this subject, but the mouth and the hand are avenues through which spiritual power is released. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hand. That's in 2 Timothy, but in 1 Timothy, he reminds me, he said, I want to remind you about the gift that was in you through a prophetic word, and the presbytery laid their hands on you. And so spiritual gifts are released through the laying on of hands and speaking a word over someone. We need to understand that there is a physical reality that we live in and we're painfully aware of, sometimes to the negation of the spiritual reality around us. Paul said that we have a physical body and a spiritual body. And your spiritual body, we have We have hands, we have spiritual eyes, Paul talks about. The eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And there is a spiritual power that can be released through the laying on of hands. That is a very real thing. And gifts can be imparted. We see three primary things that are released through the laying on of hands in Scripture. Three primary categories in which this practice shows up. The first is the receiving of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. Several of the five times that people receive the Spirit in the book of Acts, the five, you could call them the five Pentecosts of the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, 9, 10, and 19, Several of those, there was the distinct laying on of hands that happened. One of them, I want to say it's Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter was just preaching and the Spirit fell on them, but it was probably because Peter wouldn't have been willing to lay hands on these Gentiles because he didn't think there were candidates. He was hesitant to even go and preach to them, except that he had had a vision and the Lord said, don't call unclean what I call clean. And so God kind of just bypasses protocol and falls on him. And Peter said, well, I, I guess I've got to accept these people because the Lord clearly has. The Spirit has fallen upon them. And it opened up a whole new people group called the Gentiles, of which most of you and I are. But usually there was the laying on of hands 
that happen for people to receive the Spirit. And again, Peter, Paul tells Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands. One of the primary ways that God releases gifting in people is through the laying on of hands. It's a fascinating thing. And we see it in scripture, but a lot of times believers don't work their way through what that really means. And one of the, I would dare say, one of the reasons that we kind of step back from that as evangelical believers is a reaction to ancient Catholicism and some of the excesses that the Catholic Church got into. We understand, first, Timothy, I want to say it's chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And we really emphasize that, and rightly so. That is the truth. I don't need any other go-between. I, I don't need to pray to someone else to get to Jesus, and then I, I, don't, need any, I don't need someone. I, I've got a relationship with Jesus, okay? We're, there's a heart connection. I accepted him. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm grafted into the vine. I'm, I'm uh, you know, included in the beloved. All of that, and I have this relationship with him. But that doesn't negate the fact that much of the activity in our lives of the Holy Spirit and of God himself in our life is indirectly through someone else. I'm going to just let that settle for a moment. Because as evangelicals, we don't really like that. We like to think, well, I'm just going to pray and God's going to answer. But often the answer that we're praying for comes through the person sitting next to you in the pew. And often we forfeit what we're praying for because we won't receive it from the person next to us in the pew. Because God will often give you what you're praying for through the person that irritates you in the congregation. And God will intentionally do it to create unity. Yeah, Roger and Vicky behave yourself. They're elbowing each other over there. And so God operates through other people. And that doesn't negate the reality that there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. But the context of that comment is that he was the ransom for our sin. He was the only one who could purchase the way, and I now have access to him. But the fact is, in my access to the head, Jesus, often the answer that I'm accessing him for comes through the body, which is his church. And so we have these two things that show up. There is, when we begin to talk about this concept of the laying on of hands, there are two subjects we begin to bump into. And that is ecclesiology. Uh, the ecclesiology is just, it's a 50 cent word for the study of the church. We have to begin to deal with the unity of the body of Christ. And we realize that the fullness of him is in the church. Let me just stress this. We need to really understand this. You have been given, according to Ephesians 4, a measure of the gift of Christ. When you get saved, you have access to him. You don't need another mediator between you and Jesus. You have access to him, but you also only have access to a measure of the gift of Christ, 
as an individual. He has given to each man a measure of the gift of Christ, Ephesians 4 says. And then if you look at what he's talking about throughout that passage, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to, to uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry so we all do our part and we grow up into him who is the head so that we may come into the fullness of the gift of Christ. What's he saying there? Well, if you go back to chapter one of Ephesians, the last two verses, this is what it says. God has placed all things under Christ's feet, comma, for the church, comma, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the fullness of Christ. You are a member. You might be a toe. You might be an earlobe. You might be an eyeball but you are merely a member in the body and we don't have the fullness until we connect with the body. And the laying on of hands is a concept that highlights that necessity. It highlights the fact that if I want all that God has for me, I've gotta be part of a body. So, so let me back up a little. I didn't even finish what I was saying earlier. I'm sorry. Uh, there's three areas that this shows up in. The receiving of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And what I mean by the gifts of the Spirit, I'm not talking about receiving of the gifts of the Spirit as in you have a prophetic word for me. I'm talking about me receiving a gift that I'm gonna operate in, okay? Now, the fact is I've gotta come to the body to receive of the gifts through you because I've, I've gotta be around you to receive from you. And God will withhold certain things from me to give it to me through you so that we're all interconnected and we stay humble. And, and we don't have time to get in, but let me just drop something in your hat for further study on your own. There are two passages that talk about, three passages that talk about the gifts. Two of them really highlight the body. In fact, every passage, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, all three of those passages talk about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, the gifts from the Father. Ephesians 4, the gifts from the Son. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are the gifts from the Spirit. All of them talk about the body, especially the Romans and 1 Corinthians ones. Because anytime you're talking about the body, you're talking about spiritual gifts, because that's the concept. And anytime you're talking about spiritual gifts, you're talking about the body. Because it's your gift that defines what member of the body you are. And so Paul was the one who brought this revelation of the body of Christ and spiritual gifts, and it's, within, it's the same subject. And so we need to understand those two things are connected. In one passage, Romans 12, he said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So you got a spiritual gift, don't get the big head. But in 1 Corinthians 12, or maybe it's the other way around, the other one he says, listen, just because you, don't, you have a gift, and just because you don't have the gift that's more evident, prominent, matter of fact, some of you, your gift, the portion of the body you are, demands that you be covered. Because you're such a special part of the body, you, are, you remain hidden. And in fact, Paul alludes to an entire garment industry dedicated to the covering of that part of the body called the undergarment industry. 
And the reason we have the undergarment industry is precisely because that part of the body is so special that it's not displayed for all to see. It's a private part, and, it's, and so it's given special honor by being covered. And we think, oh, it's the prominent gift that's up on the platform. That's the real gift. When in reality, that's not the case. We're all important. We just have different functions. And so in one passage, Paul said, don't get the big head. The other passage, he said, don't think less of yourself. So he's dealing with the two extremes in dealing with spiritual gifts. We need to re realize, every one of us, we have a vital gift that is a portion that we bring to the body, but it's vital that we access the other portions because everyone else has gifts we need. And only then do we see the fullness of Christ. And without that, we're left with this little distorted half picture. We worship at the toe. I know Jesus, he's this big toe, he's awesome, he's got this beautiful manicured toenail, he's, oh, he's worthy, he's worthy, but that's not the whole body. Okay, I know that was weird, but yeah, we, need to, we need to see the fullness, and so uh, we see spirit, the, this whole concept of the laying on of hands shows up in the receiving of the spirit. They had hands laid on him, and the spirit came upon them for the baptism of the spirit, which is subsequent to and separate from, distinct from, salvation. They received the Spirit. The disciples in John 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. But in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came upon them for the baptism in the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. In salvation, we receive the gift of Christ. But it's as we connect with the body of Christ that we have the fullness of Christ. You see a pattern here? A measure and a fullness is part of the way of God. So we see it show up there. We also see this concept of the laying on of hands show up in physical healing and emotional healing for that matter, for healing. It's lay, the laying on of hands. There is, a, uh, there is a transmission of power from one member of the body of Christ to another through the laying on of hands. And that is a valid thing. And we need to understand that God wants to anoint our hands. There's that interesting psalm that says, anoint my fingers for battle and my hands for war. That these are weapons, the hands. And we're to lay them and drive out devils. We're supposed to dry, drive out sickness, drive out torment. Because God wants to anoint our hands. And the laying on of hands is a foundational element of the Christian life. And when we ignore that and take that out and overlook that, there are, there are a lot, there's a lot of activity of the spirit that goes unrealized. Church gets real tame. The Christian life, we, we end up having to look for other avenues to get relief from what we're supposed to get relief from in the body of Christ through the laying on of hands and the power of God being released. And so we need to keep this foundational and central, the laying on of hands. The third thing that we see, the laying on of hands, the th third context is for commissioning leadership. Commissioning leaders into ministry. Uh, the laying hands on the elders. Uh, laying hands on, you know, Paul and Barnabas. They, they were, it says 
In Acts, they were ministering to the Lord in prayer and fasting, and the Lord spoke, set aside Paul and Barnabas for me for the ministry. I have a work for them to do. So then what they do? They prayed and fasted more about that. Then they laid hands on them and sent them out. And that speaks of that authority, that, that whole thing that we were talking about, the right-hand man. Matter of fact, in battle, it was a more serious thing to be on the right side of a prominent warrior. You like, remember Jonathan, Saul's son, had an armor bearer? For an armor bearer, you know, they would often have multiple ones if they were, a, if they were precious cargo, you know, or if they were a, a, a great warrior or a royal son or whatever, you know, they would have armor bearers, and those armor bearers were often great warriors. They were working their way up. That's why David started as an armor bearer for Saul. But it was, more, it was more serious to be on the right side because the right side was more vulnerable because they carried their shield with the left side. They were more vulnerable on the right side. And so all of that speaks of power and authority and position and, and filling our hand with oil. And all of this are rich metaphors for this reality that what you have at the, these mitts at the end of your wrists are to be packed with power. They're loaded with power. Come on. If you have the faith for it. Mm. And that we recognize there's others around us that carry the power of God in their hands. And we can access that. And let, let me say this. When it comes to leadership, there are leaders with a position of authority, and then there are leaders who have influence and power. And those aren't always the same thing. Ideally, they are, but they're not always. David is the great example of this, but we, you, you've seen this in your own experience. We've all known spiritual leaders that occupy a position in an organization, but the anointing is not as strong on them as maybe somebody that just doesn't have a position, but they have influence. Those are two different types of leadership. The leader is not always the leader. <laughs> there's, there's people who carry something that other people recognize. David received an anointing for a position long before he entered into the position. And Saul lost the anointing for a position long before he abdicated the position. So Saul had a throne, but no anointing. David had an anointing, but no throne. And both of them are tremendously frustrating positions to be in. To be saddled with responsibility, but to have lost the anointing of God to fulfill that responsibility. What a terrible state to live in. But David, here he was, he was anointed, but no outlet for that anointing. Everywhere he go, he would attract other people. His, his leadership attracted people, but he didn't have a position. And then finally what God did is when Saul was removed, David ascended to the throne. First, you know, there was three anointings in David's life. There was an anointing that by, at the hand of Samuel that only a prophet, even his own family didn't see it, but a prophet saw his potential and anointed him. And now he had an anointing, but no position. Then that anointing began to attract conflict, Goliath, uh, but also attracted uh, other leaders. Those were in debt, disillusioned, and discontent, it said, this rabble that became his mighty men. And so then they began to 
follow David, and David was anointed a second time to rule over Judah, a, uh, just a partial fulfillment of his destiny. Often there's an anointing before you step into your calling, but then there's an anointing that comes upon you, and you're only partially fulfilling your calling, but he who was faithful with little will be made faithful of much, and David finally stepped into, after seven years, stepped into an anointing that the entire nation saw, and they said, you're called to lead us. And so there was progression of that. But my point is this. We need to understand that there is authority and there is power in the kingdom. Authority comes from position. Power comes from anointing. And those are two different things. They're two different words in the Greek. The primary word we translate authority is exousia. Now sometimes it's translated power, but the real word, meaning of the word is authority or authorization. Uh, they've been authorized by the author to release authority. They have been given permission by God himself. And that's why this is so serious. When we t start talking about authority, what, what it, authority is, is God is authorizing a human agent and saying, I have given them permission to stamp their will on something. And they're going to give an answer for it. God leaves us his book. He leaves us other leaders to help us navigate the choppy waters of leadership. But the fact is, God is authorizing that person to govern, and then they will give an answer for it. And even if you don't like a leader, this is not, this is not a self-serving sermon, okay? I don't feel that from most people. I'm saying this for your sake and for my sake. I have been under leaders that I had a issue with their, sometimes it was personality. I wanted to make it out to be a character issue. It was a personality thing. There were, I, I've worked for people. I wouldn't work for, the, I wouldn't go back there for anybody but Jesus. And even then I'd have to wrestle over it. But I wouldn't trade my time under that individual for anything. Because there were things I had to learn and I could only learn through that particular type of personality. And so we need to understand when we come under authority and the hand represents that authority and that's why you can have a, uh, 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 an Eli who is a backslidden priest of God. I mean, you look at the vivid language in 1 Samuel chapter one. Eli was overweight and, and he was losing his sight. And then it says, the King James Version, so poetically, and ere the lamp of God had not yet gone out in the temple. It's talking about the twilight of a nation spiritually. And then all of a sudden, there's a little burning lamp called Samuel. But there was a little boy in a linen ephod. His mama would sew him little priestly garments. Isn't that just cute? But it was more than cute. You know, a lot of times kids will play according to their calling and they don't even realize it. But they're emulating as a child what's already in them by destiny. I remember my little brother, who's gonna be here Wednesday night. We'd, we'd, we'd hear him upstairs, we'd go in, and he would have one of my dad's ties on. It'd be down and kind of across the ground and over suit, big old suit, and he'd have one of those trash cans with the lid on the side, and he'd have a book on it, and he'd be preaching to an empty room. Just a little boy, like three, four years old, you know, just preaching away. 
Samuel was called and he was the hope of Israel. You know where he came from? That backslidden priest, Eli, gave his mama a prophetic word. She was crying out for a child and he said, so be it unto you. She latched onto that in faith, went home and grabbed her husband and the rest is history. But that child was the product of a prophetic word by a backslidden man but a man who occupied a place of authority. And we've got to realize this. In this day and age, and especially in American Western culture, that we're, we, uh, we will be ruled by no king. Be careful. And honor authority. Because Romans 13 is very clear. If you rebel against authority, you rebel against God. And we give honor to the position, even if we can't respect the person. I used to tell the Teen Challenge student, listen, for your sake, if you're going to make it through this program, you need to honor our position as the staff here. Because it was a heavy, very heavy authoritative environment because all of us that ended up there as students ended up there because of our rebellion. We needed that. I said, I, I have to, and I hope I do by the time you leave here, I've got to earn your respect for my personhood, but I'll demand your respect of my position. And we've got to navigate those waters because God will sometimes put people in your life with an authority position that you don't like, but you need something they have. And if you'll come under that, and you'll, I'm not talking about in some unhealthy way, but I'm saying you honor that position because authority can be released through their hand. Even though they may not walk in anointing and power, they occupy a position that God will still move through. Does that make sense? So this is a very important thing. So all of this subject, which to me is a fascinating subject, all of this subject forces us to really confront a reality that God often interacts with us indirectly. And that, we don't like that as evangelicals. That sounds very Catholic to us. But the fact is God will operate in our lives indirectly through leaders and other people in the body of Christ. And this whole concept of the laying on of hands demands that we confront that reality. I've, I've known ministers, I, uh, back in the 90s when revival broke out in Florida, man, I'd get in my van with all my kids, a big one-ton van, and we'd drive down the highway all the way to Florida. I wanted to get my head under those oily hands. And I had dear friends in ministry, and they said, they said, I don't need to go all the way to Florida to get prayed for. God can move here. And that's true. That's not the issue. The issue is, is he moving here? And if he ain't, I'm getting where he is. That ain't good English, but it's good preaching. I'm going to go where he is moving because we honor the gifts and callings on people's lives. And so we recognize, when we recognize an anointing, we recognize authority, that it's, it's not a matter of that they're, you know, that there's something special or they're, you know. Uh, the fact is, God operates through people. We're going to have Randy Clark here in a few weeks. If you haven't signed up, you need to. One of the things that Randy operates in very clearly is apostolic impartation. Randy was a part of the Vineyard Movement for many years. John Wimber, the late leader of the, the Vineyard Movement, asked Randy to sit on his national board. Randy was embarrassed. He said because he had less people in his church than most of the other guys on the board had on their staff. 
He's like, why am I on this board? And finally he resigned. Just, it was just so uncomfortable. After John Wimber had passed away and Randy was now traveling the nations, one of the board members asked, talked to Randy, and Randy said, yeah, I just, I was embarrassed. I don't, still don't know why he had me on that board. And they said, John never told you? He said, tell me what? He never told you why he had? No. He said, twice he heard the audible voice of the Lord over your life and said, Randy will travel the nations with apostolic impartation. Many of you have been exposed to Leif Hetland's ministry. Leif's been in here many times. First time we had him here was when Renee Norgard got out of that wheelchair. She walked in, when she didn't walk in, she rolled into the service with her hands atrophied, couldn't even lift her head, and she was running around here when the power of God hit her. An amazing miracle. And there's, there's, there's just been a history of that. Leif was a normal Baptist pastor. Didn't know who Randy was. Went to a meeting in Norway where Leif was from. And Randy was praying for people and came to Leif and said, I see you as a bulldozer in the Middle East. There's great darkness in front of you, but millions of souls behind you. God's going to use you as a bulldozer. Prayed for life, boom, he hit the floor, power of God hit him. And within nine months, he was in the Middle East preaching to huge crowds of Muslims. And he's seen well over a million Muslims come to the Lord. Heidi Baker, same thing. She had been, her and her husband had been in Mozambique. They went there because it was the most war-torn, poverty-stricken nation of the world. When they read, they're blowing up Red Cross trucks. She, they said, that's where we want to go. After five years, they had planted five churches and were near a nervous breakdown. They were in Toronto when Randy was there, and Randy had a prophetic word for Heidi. He said, do you want the nation? Yes! He said, God's going to give you Mozambique. The power of God hit her, and she shook for five days. They had to carry her in and out of the services. In the next five years, they planted 5,000 churches. It wasn't that they were doing different things. It was now that there had been an impartation of the power of God. When Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands, that is a present-day reality. We don't have time to get into it this morning. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. Let me just drop this in your noggin for further thought. What the few get by impartation, the rest get by inheritance. Because this whole thing of impartation, I've, I've been in numerous services over the last couple decades where th this concept is released into a room and there's a few in the room that get powerfully touched by the Spirit of God and are used internationally on a grand scale and the rest feel like wow what what am i you know what's wrong with me and that's why we need to be connected to the body of christ because what will god will do is he'll touch a few that in in relationship to them the many will be touched and god gives gifts severally as he will and in order for us to access all he has for us we got to be connected to the body of christ Does make sense okay let's pray father Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would make sense of what I just said. Lord, that you would instruct our hearts. Tie it together for us, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you'd stir our hearts in great hunger. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. 
If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.